in October. The dates are there in your bulletin, October 18th through the 23rd. I hope you're going to clear the deck and cancel whatever else uh, goes on during the week. For that one week to be a part, six uh, missionaries, they're all young, they're all new. We, we know Jordan and Nikki. The other five you haven't met, and so I want you to come out so that you can meet these young men and women going off to some great and difficult places. And so we need to uh, turn out and just be a part of that. And so I hope you see that. And to help you get going on that, we're looking at the book of Romans. So turn into your uh, turn to your notes there. And I want to share with you the big idea of the book of Romans. Uh, because I'm telling you, once we dive into 9 through 11... Uh, we have, we will have dived in and there will be no escaping 9 through 11 until we get out of it. And you want to go into it with the best understanding you can. Of course, I have to study ahead. Uh, and so I've been studying ahead in 9 and, and thinking in my mind, Jerry, what in the world have I done? And you know what? Then I take comfort in something. And I've been reading some good men, some good godly men who have had to do this as well. But uh, and, and getting some great counsel from some dead guys, you know, dead theologians. And, uh, you know, why would we want to shy away from something that God has revealed? And the re- well, there's a lot of reasons, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, it, 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 we shouldn't shy away from all that's in the Word of God. And some of the reasons that these passages are so difficult for us is because we have shied away from them. And because we haven't studied them with the big picture in mind. And we haven't studied them with our hearts bowed down to a God who is bigger than we are. And so as we get into this, let's look at the big idea of the book of Romans. The big idea of any book is very important to establish. My goal here is not to just give you information. It's to teach you how to study the Bible. When you preach... Uh, to the congregation, you don't have the advantage of doing that. In our discovery hour, we have the advantage to not only uh, uh, you know, challenge you and preach, so to speak, but we can teach you and train you how to study the Bible. Well, when you look at a book of the Bible, you need to ask, what's the big idea? What's the big idea of this book? And how you come up with the big idea is you summarize the book in a single sentence. A single sentence that summarizes everything that the book is about. Not just some of the things, but everything. That's not easy to do when you're looking at a book like Romans. That is, you know, uh, not only a mile wide, 16 chapters, but it's a mile deep, some depth. And so how do you do that? I was taught, and I think this is very helpful, you ask two questions. Yeah, a, a sentence is made, and this is a little English help for you, and since my daughter's 12 years old, I'm refreshing myself in grammar and pre-algebra. Uh, you know, it freaks me out that at one time in high school, I took college calculus, and I don't have a clue what pre-algebra is talking about. And so I, 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 it's just a sad thing, uh, but that's another story. English, single sentence is made up of a subject and a... A verb or a complement, a subject and a complement or a verb makes up a complete sentence. So here's how you come up with the big idea of a book. You ask two questions. One, what is the one thing the whole thing is talking about? What is the one thing the whole thing is talking about? That's your subject. Then you step back and you say, what is being said about the one thing? And that's your complement. Sounds easy. Uh, It's a difficult thing to jump into, but here's what we've come up with. What's the one thing the whole thing is about in the book of Romans? It's very simple on the surface. It's the gospel. 
It's about the gospel. More than perhaps any other book, every book in the Bible actually is about the gospel, but this book really addresses the gospel. There's no doubt that the simplest answer to the question, what's the one thing, the whole thing that Romans is about, the simplest answer is the gospel. The gospel in Greek is the euangelion. Euangelion. It means good news. And it's mentioned nine times in the book of Romans. And every time it's mentioned, it's either in the beginning of the book or the end of the book or in chapters 9, 10, and 11. So at the beginning, the middle, and the end, and particularly the chapters we're going to be studying, it's about good news, the gospel. The verb is euangelion. I mess that all up. Euangelizo, to preach the good news. So you got the good news, and then you got the preaching of the good news. That's mentioned three times. And again, it's mentioned at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the book of Romans. Now, the gospel simply means good news. So you want to jot that down your notes. The gospel means literally good news. That's what that Greek word euangelion means. It's good news that was delivered by a messenger. It was good news because the message was often about a military victory. And so what would happen is, in those days, you didn't have email, you didn't have texting, you didn't have cell phones. You had people with feet, like Dana, running in the 5K. Okay, and, and so, and, and hopefully they would run well. And hopefully when they came and delivered the message, it would be good news. And when it was, you would say, oh, you have brought euangelion, you have brought good news. You have brought gospel to us. Now, what a fitting way to describe the message of salvation. So here's the secular term about bringing good news about victory from the battlefield. And now God in his infinite wisdom says, I have good news for you from the battlefield of your sin, from the battlefield between me and my arch enemy Satan. I have good news. My son, Jesus Christ, has won the victory. And so that good news is declared. So the gospel is not something we have to come up with. It's not something that we do. It's something that God has done through his son. And now he declares it euangelion. There is gospel. There is good news. The gospel is good news that is to be shared and received. What do you do with a message? You don't sit on it. You share it. It's to be received and then it is to be shared. And Paul in this gospel, in this book of Romans, is eager to share the good news with the Romans and get their help in sharing the good news with those who haven't heard it over in Spain. Uh, turn your Bibles, Romans 1.15. Romans 1.15. For this study, uh, I'm going to be using uh, the New American Standard for uh, our study of Romans 9 through 11. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, looking at the text. And so uh, for this study, I'm going to use the New American Standard. And so if, uh, you can follow along in that or follow along in whatever version that you are using. Romans 1.15. Notice what it says. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel. There it is. Euangelizo. I am eager to share good news to you also who are in Rome. That's the beginning of the book. Now turn to the back of the book. Romans 15, 19. So we're looking at the beginning because that's how you figure out what a book is about. You look at the beginning and you look at the end. Especially the Apostle Paul. Here's how he communicates. 
He first tells, this is what I'm talking about. Then he tells you what he's talking about. And then he tells you what he just told you about. And so if you look at the beginning and the end of a book, you'll be able to understand what's in the middle. And so when you look at Romans 15, 19, notice what he says. In power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news. Man, look at this. They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, our six guests that are coming to the World Outreach Celebration, that's what they're being sent to do. They're being sent to tell news to those who have had no news. Those who have never heard what so many of us have heard dozens of times. Those sent to open eyes through the gospel to see what they have never seen. Jesus Christ, high and exalted and lifted up. There's no doubt that the general theme of this book is found in Romans 1, 16 and 17. So turn back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, look, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because I'm over here in the eastern part of the empire, and I've preached the gospel everywhere here in the east. Now I want to go to the west where you are, and I want to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it. And here's why he wants to preach the gospel. Here's why he's eager to preach it, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that is God's alone is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now that is the theme. And in your notes, I've, I, I've summarized what I, how I believe, what is the one thing the whole thing is about, and it's there in your notes, God's good news, because see, it's good news that comes from Him. It's good news that reveals that His righteousness, which is what we lack, but we have to have if we're going to be with Him in heaven, if we're going to be in re relationship with God, then we've got to have His righteousness, God's good news reveals that His righteousness is for all peoples. Yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And it's by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what the one thing, the whole thing is about. And that is the gospel. Now, that pretty much covers Romans 1 through 8. or I'm sorry, 1 through 11. That covers the first half of the book. The first half of the book is kind of like the subject of the sentence. The last half of the book, Romans 12 through 16, is like the complement. What's, what's being said about the one thing? So let's look at that. What's being said about the one thing the whole thing is about? What's the complement? What's the other parts of it? Well, I want to start out by telling you two things about this book. First of all, Paul is giving a logical explanation. He's giving a logical explanation and a theological defense of gospel-centered preaching. 
basically what he's doing here is he's introducing himself to the people of Rome who he has never met. He knows a lot of the Romans. He greets them in Romans 16, but he's never been to Rome. He's never been to that church. He's like mission, these missionaries that are coming to our church. They've never been here. And so he wants to introduce himself. But because he is a preacher of the gospel, his credentials are the gospel. He's, he's basically saying, if you want to know me, then you got to know my gospel. In fact, he calls it my gospel. And what he wants to show is that my gospel is God's gospel. Because that's the only gospel. Are you following me? See, everybody's got good news for us. Look at the New York bestseller list of books. Everybody's got good news. Stay up late and watch infomercials. Everybody's got good news. But is that good news God's good news? Well, what Paul is doing is he wants to present a logical explanation and a theological defense that his preaching is gospel-centered preaching. And so, chapters 1 and chapters 15 and 16, the beginning and ending of this book sound very much like Paul's typical letters. Very personal, very relational. And so when you read this book, read chapter 1, 15 and 16, you're like, I can relate to this. I can get this. Then you dive in to chapters 1 through 11. And you think you've just entered into Bible college, seminary. There's, theolo- there's theology, there's reasoning. You think you're in the courtroom. I mean, I mean, it's like, is this guy a lawyer or a preacher? Okay? Because he gives really tight reasoning. And he's answering objections to the gospel. Because anytime you preach God's gospel, people are going to protest. They're going to protest. They're going to, they're, going to, they're going to fight you. And so there's tight reasoning. There's logical explanations. And there's a lot of scriptural answers to questions that are raised by people who have listened to Paul in the past and who are attacking him. And so he's like a lawyer in a courtroom. And he says, here's my case. All the world's condemned. And here's the proof. Romans 1 through 3. Then he says... Because we're all guilty, our only hope is the righteousness of God that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me lay that out for you. And he goes Romans five, uh, Romans uh, uh, three through five, and then he says, "You're gonna. You think that this message of gospel by faith alone in Christ alone may lead to lawless, ungodly living, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to explain to you that that's not the case at all. That grace, gospel living, leads to godly living. And so, in Romans 6 through 8, he presents that. Then he says, now I know some of you are former Jews, you're you're Jews, but now you're Christians, and you're wondering, what happened to the promises of God to Israel? And you're thinking, well, has God's word failed? I mean, didn't he make all these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Now he's making them to us. Has he put his people, you know, has God's word failed? Has he forgotten his people? And and Paul wants to defend against that false reasoning. And so Romans 9 through 11 is going to prove that. So as we look at the one thing that the whole thing is about, the gospel reveals that his righteousness is for all people. We're going to put the word because in front of that because he's presenting reasons. It's logical reasoning, logical thinking. But 
It's not just all explanation. Look at number two in your notes. Paul is giving a practical exhortation. So it's a logical explanation. Those of you that think linearly and think very detailed, you're going to love this book. But it's also practical exhortation regarding gospel-centered living. And here's the point. Gospel-centered preaching will always lead to gospel-centered living. And we think, oh, if we show grace, people will take advantage of it. Well, some people do, right? But that's not what God intends. Gospel-centered preaching. So, you could really divide the book up this way. In Romans 1 through 11, you have a logical explanation of gospel-centered preaching. This is the gospel. Then you come to 12 through 16, the rest of the book, and you have practical exhortation to gospel-centered living. And let me show you how the book divides. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, bring this out. So for Romans 1 through 11, he's given this logical explanation, very tight reasoning. People have objections. He says, you'll say this, but the Old Testament, the Bible says this. You say this, but God says this. You say this, but God says this. Then he's done with that. He's proven his case. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren. That word urge there is exhort. I exhort you. I encourage you. I plead with you. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, what are the mercies of God? Everything in Romans 1 through 11. It's the gospel. The gospel is the mercies of God. We're sinners. He's righteous. And we can't get to him apart from what? The mercy of God in Jesus Christ. So he says, by the mercies of God that I have just given you a logical explanation of, I now practically exhort you to gospel-centered living. Let's read the rest of the verse. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I'm going to help you understand what that is through the rest of the book. So you have logical explanation. You've got practical exhortation. Let's look at this word exhortation. This word exhortation. The word that Paul uses there in Romans 12.1, he uses throughout the book. It's a word that means encourage and exhort. The word means to come alongside someone in their time of need and give them what they need to move forward in God's purposes. Sometimes what people need is encouragement. You can do it. You can do it. Let's go. I'm alongside you. Let's do it. Okay? Sometimes people need exhortation. A godly kick in the seat of the pants. We've encouraged you enough. Get going. You know. Same word, coming along to help inside. So, do people need encouragement? Do they need comfort? Some, the word also means to comfort. Sometimes people are so weak and they're so hurting that they don't need encouragement and they don't need exhortation. What they need is you to come alongside and just kind of weep with them, comfort them. 
It's okay. We're going to get through this. But we're going to get through this in order to move on into God's purposes. Sometimes people need a challenge. So that's what this word means. And that's all that the rest of the book of Romans is about. I've given you a logical explanation. Now I'm going to give you some practical comfort, encouragement, exhortation, and a spiritual kick in the pants to get moving forward in God's purposes. And so in Romans 1.12, he says this, The reason I'm coming to you is that I may be encouraged, there's our word, together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, yours and mine. Then in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, exhort you, challenge you, brethren, present your bodies. Then turn to Romans 15, Romans 15, 4 through 5. He uses the word again and he says in Romans 15, 4 through 5, he says, Whatever was written earlier times, that is in the Bible, was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. See, this is what's awesome. We look to people for what only God can provide through the gospel. We look to people to, why aren't you encouraging me? Because I'm as messed up as you are. That's why. Look at your spouse. Diana, look at your spouse. (laughs) Listen, we're to encourage one another in the scriptures with the encouragement that only God can give. And that's why you need to read the book of Romans. Avoid this book and you'll avoid God's encouragement for your life that only He can give. And it's the reason why throughout this whole book, Paul is constantly quoting the Old Testament because at that time, other than what he was writing, that was the Bible. And so he'll say, you say this, but God says this. You say this, but God says this. You say this, but God says this. Why? Because he's not because he's trying to come down on them. It's because the only way to encourage comfort and and challenge people to move forward in God's purposes is you've got to do, do it through the scriptures in the power of the spirit with the encouragement that only God can give. So, in Romans 15.30, move on down. Romans 15.30, he says it again. Now I urge you, exhort, comfort, challenge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. There he goes again. Look, I can only do this through Christ. I can only do this with you through the Spirit. Finally, or next, uh, Romans 16.17, he says it again. Now I urge you, comfort, challenge, exhort, Spiritual kick in the pants. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. See, sometimes the best encouragement you can ever get is to stay away from people who are spiritually discouraging. People that are spiritually discouraging, spiritually decisive, always coming at you in a way that's contrary to the Scriptures. We're not talking about lost people here. Those are the people we're supposed to get around. But those people often aren't nasty like professing Christians who are divisive and like this. Those are the ones you stay away from. Well, we could go on. I think you get the idea. So, let's add now to the one thing the whole thing's about, 
because God's gospel reveals that His righteousness is for all people by faith alone in Christ, by faith alone in Christ alone, we should. There's the exhortation. So because is the reason, we should is the exhortation, but what is it that we're to do? Well, let's see the purposes for writing the book. Paul is writing this logical explanation, chapters 1 through 11, and practical exhortation, chapters 12 through 16, in order to accomplish several purposes. Let me give you them now. Here's why he wrote this book. You say, why do I need to know why he wrote this book? Why do you need to know why he wrote this book? Because if you don't know what he's trying to say and why he wrote it, you're not going to get it. The reason we don't understand the Bible is because we don't take the time to understand what God is writing. See, we come to it with our problems. We come to it me-centered and said, well, I didn't get anything out of that. It ain't relating to me. Well, did it ever occur that maybe God hasn't structured his divine purposes around me and my problems? Maybe my problems are such because I haven't centered my life around him and his purposes. Just a thought. So if I'm going to get anything out of the book of Romans, I've got to understand why he wrote it and how I fit into his purposes, not how I fit God into mine. So let me give you a couple purposes. Number one, preparation. Preparation for a visit. For a visit to further, the, to, uh, further establish the gospel among the Gentiles in Rome. Now, I can't read through all these. You'll have to read through them on your own. But this idea of preparing for a visit to establish them, it's found in God's plan. So let's, let's at least look at this one. Romans 1, 11. Look at Romans 1, 11. Turn your Bibles there, Romans 1, 11. And he says this. Here's his purpose for writing. To prepare them for his arrival. What's our purpose for teaching this book? To prepare us for the arrival of our missionaries in October. Notice what he says. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. He wants to use his spiritual gifting and use it to invest in them. Why? What's that next phrase say? That you may be established. That you may be established. And he says that is that I may be encouraged, exhorted, comforted. Encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I've often planned to come to, to you and have been prevented so far, so that I might obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, how is he going to establish them? How is he going to bear fruit among them? Verse 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. So... For my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, let me try to summarize what I'm trying to say here. He wants to preach the gospel to people who have already heard the gospel. Does that sound odd to you? Does that sound odd? To preach the gospel to someone that's already heard the gospel? I thought the gospel was a saving message, and once you heard that, you move on to other things. Well, unfortunately, that's how we think. But you know how you strengthen a Christian? You preach the gospel to them. 
You say, you mean you give them a track that says God has a wonderful plan for your life? You're a sinner. God is holy. You're a sinner. Christ died for you. You should uh, pray this prayer. Well, obviously, the gospel needs to be a little more than that if it's going to strengthen us, right? It's that, but it's more than that. We need to learn the gospel. So if, if, if you're weak as a Christian this morning and you want to strengthen yourself, in the things of God, then let Paul preach the gospel to you through the book of Romans. That's how you get stronger. You study the gospel more. Now, this was his purpose for writing. Turn to uh, Romans 15, 14 through 16. Romans 14, uh, 15, 14 through 16. He wanted to establish them. That's why he wanted to visit, but it's also why he's writing them. Now, notice what he says. Verse, uh, Romans 15, 14 through 16. Now concerning you, my brethren, you in Rome, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another, able to exhort one another. In other words, I know you're established. You are established. But I have written very boldly to you, on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Remember, he says, this is my spiritual gift. I establish people in the gospel. And I know you're already established, but I want to come and establish you further. You're strong. I want you stronger. And so that's why I've written this book. Basically, what Paul was going to do in Rome is what he wrote to Rome. Are you with me? Haven't you, haven't you ever wondered, man, wouldn't it be cool to be in a, have Paul come to our church and to, to just sit and listen to him as he ministered, as he preached? I, wouldn't that be cool? Well, guess what? Read the book of Romans. That's what he would come and say. You're like, oh. Oh, I thought it'd be a little more exciting. I thought it might be spectacular. Maybe someone would fall asleep, fall out a window, die, and he'd raise them from the dead. This is what he did. And if you're not interested in this, you're not interested in sitting under his preaching. Because this is his preaching. And it's meant to strengthen them. One last passage. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Let's read on. He says, uh, This is the grace that has been given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, as a priest, like a priest, the gospel of God. So there it is, the gospel again. Now, Romans 16. Look at the next chapter. Romans 16, 25 through 7. Paul's plan was to establish. Paul's purpose in writing was to establish. Now, look at Paul's final prayer. It's a prayer for establishing them. Now, look at what he says. Romans 16, verse 25. Now, to him who is able to what? To establish you according to what? According to my what? My gospel. And the preaching of who? Jesus Christ. So, Romans was clearly written to establish his readers. So, Paul wants to be there in person. He writes to them and then he prays for them. All that they may be established and be made stronger. Now, Romans is the sixth book that Paul wrote. Do you know the first book? Galatians. 
and then 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then finally, not finally, but sixthly, Romans. And then he went on to write a total of 13 letters. But these six belong together because they are written to churches that need to be established in the gospel. And they grow in order. If you'll read this, Galatians, they were ready to depart from the gospel. They were so weak, they were starting to depart the gospel for another gospel, which is not another gospel. You can see that. In, this is a baby church that needs to be established. This is a church that's all mixed up. It needs to be fixed. And this is a church that is mature. Now, and he wants to make it stronger. Now, here's what I've often said. You know that our church here at Glenwood or any other church is mature and established in the gospel when you can teach Romans verse by verse and people don't get mad and leave over what God has taught in that book. You'll say, why would Christians get upset over what God taught in that book? Oh, you just wait a couple weeks and we'll get into Romans 9 and you'll see this is why people get upset. Are you with me? A church is mature when you can teach through Romans 1 through 6, verse by verse, and people surrender gladly to what God has taught, even though it might not resonate with what they think, and it might not be easily understood. In fact, they may not understand it at all, but God said it, that settles it. I'm going to surrender my heart to it. Establishing. Very important reason. And secondly, it's prayer support. Paul is writing for prayer support in bringing the offering of the Gentile churches to the impoverished Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So he wants to come to Rome. Here's all my notes. He wants to, he's up here in Corinth, but he's going to go to Jerusalem before he goes to Rome, which is over here, on his way to Spain, which is over here in the east. And so what he's saying is, look, I want to come down here and I want, you, I want to prepare you. That's one of my reasons, because I'm going to come and visit you to establish you. But I also want you to pray for my ministry in Jerusalem. Notice in Romans 15. Look at Romans 15, verse 30. Romans 15, verse 30. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. In other words, Jews who have rejected Christ, who do not believe the gospel and want to silence anyone who preaches the gospel. So pray for protection. Number two, that my service for Jerusalem, may prove acceptable to the saints. In other words, I pray that these Jewish Christians will accept gifts from Gentile Christians who they are used to not liking. So pray for protection and pray that my ministry would be successful, that I may join you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. So, the book of Romans is a missionary prayer letter. It's written by the greatest missionary of the church has ever known to a church seeking prayer support. 
So this great theological treatise is a missionary prayer letter. Establishing believers or a church in maturity is always for a reason, to get them involved in ministry here at home and missions around the world. He wants to get them strong so that they can get involved in praying and ministry. Maturity is always for ministry. Now, every week in this church, you have the opportunity through the Missionary of the Week update that Randy and Audra invest a lot of time and effort in. Every week, you have the opportunity to show your maturity by praying for these missionaries, not just once a week on Sunday, but during the week. You want to know how strong you are in Christ? Want to know how aligned you are with God's purposes? Ask yourself, do I pray for the missionary during the week? And if not, confess that. Repent of that and say, Lord, I want to be stronger. I want to be more established. I want to be more mature. I want to pray during the week. Because that's what mature Christians do. They pray for the gospel to get out. Number three, partner with him in bringing the gospel to the unreached people in Spain. So he, he doesn't want them to just pray. What do mature, established Christians do? They get involved. They partner in getting the gospel to the unreached. So, he's preparing those in Rome, praying for those in Jerusalem. Now, partner with me in getting the gospel to unreached Gentiles who have never heard in the farthest reaches of the empire. Wow. Now, notice what he says. Turn to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 22. Romans 15, verse 22. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. That is, because I have been preaching the gospel over here in the West, but now they all have opportunity to hear. Now I want to go to the East, but to do that, I need your help. Notice what he says. But now there's no further place for me in these regions. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped. Circle that. Helped on my way. Circle that Greek word. Helped on my way. There by you. When I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Romans is not just a missionary prayer letter. It's a missionary support letter. Because that's what missionaries do. They seek prayer, and they seek financial, spiritual, relational help to get from point A to point B. Okay, Paul is here, he's going to go here, he's going to go here, but to get from here to here, he's going to have to have help. And these missionaries and church planners that are coming in October are here, and they want to get to Pakistan. They want to get to Mongolia. They want to get to the unsaved in Boston. They want to get to Amsterdam, one of the hardest, most secularized cultures there are. But to get from point A to point B, they're going to have to have support. They're going to have to have partners. And that doesn't just mean us writing a check. That means them coming here and getting refreshed. You taking part in the World Outreach Celebration. You setting aside three nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so you can meet every missionary and you can refresh them. Now, when he says send them forward on their way, this word is used throughout the New Testament. And I, I gave you... Uh, the outline. What does it mean to partner with missionaries in terms of supporting them? The goal 
This word means to send them forward. I love that. Send them forward, not set them back on their mission to go where God has sent them. And how do you send them forward? This word is used here in Romans with the idea of friendship. He wants, we need to give these missionaries our heart when they come here. We need to give them our time. That's why we have our missionaries come in for a week. Because it takes from Tuesday night when our staff and missions team meets with them throughout the week while you meet with them to finally Sunday, we finally have bonded. Now, we don't, it doesn't mean we support every one of them. We can't support them all. But it means we have bonded with them. We've been refreshed and they have been refreshed by our company. It means doing it with patience, with diligence, with urgency, with generosity, with excellence. That's a whole lesson right there. But that's what this word means, to send them forward. And what do we send them forward to do? Number four, we send them forward for proclamation. Proclamation of the gospel. This book was written for the proclamation of a gospel, of the gospel that leads to an obedient faith among all peoples. One of the most interesting phrases in the book of Romans, it's found at the beginning and the end, is this phrase the obedience of faith among the nations. The obedience of faith among the nations. See, I'm telling you, it's so easy to get the idea that once I get saved, I have my fire insurance, I I stick that in my pocket, I'm eternally secure, once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter how I live now. Doesn't matter how long I struggle with my sin. I'm covered. Because I'm saved by faith alone, not by my works in Christ alone. Now, that's true, except for this phrase that's at the beginning and the end of Romans, the obedience that comes from faith. When we've truly been born again, God gives us the power and the ability to live an obedient life. Not perfect. I'm not perfect. Are any of you? No. But are you progressing? Am I progressing in an obedient faith? I think it's interesting, and you have it in your notes, that at the beginning of the first chapter of Romans, Paul says the Romans' faith is being proclaimed throughout the empire. Man, Romans are getting saved right and left. But at the last chapter, it says this. Paul says the Romans' obedience, and guess what word that is? Hupakuo. The Romans' Ability to hupakuo, it has become known to all. Hey, I heard you're saved. But are people hearing, I heard you got saved back then, but are people now hearing that you hupakuo, that you have placed yourself under what you heard, the gospel, and now you're living the gospel on a daily basis? Isn't that, that's an amazing thing. So, what's the idea? You should start Romans And you should ask yourself, am I saved? And then as you read Romans, you should ask yourself, am I becoming more and more obedient because I've been saved? Or have I plateaued and have I become stagnant? Am I spiritual backwater that is scudsy, stinky, green, and smelly? Or am I that fresh running water of obedience? Wow. Good stuff, Chris. Keep Keep teaching. Number five, promote. The final point is promote. He wants to promote unity. 
Now, I'll have to stop here. But read that point number five. Promote unity between Jew and Gentile in a church to further the spread of the gospel and the glory of God among all peoples. And fill in these two blanks. Paul is writing to promote greater unity in the church for greater ministry. Here's the problem. You got Jews and Gentiles, which is like oil and water. The problem is, God is calling out His people from Jew and Gentile. The Jew first, and then the Gentile. So that, even that order, creates a little ego clashing. Hey, we had it first, right? Yeah, but we got it without the law. I mean, there's just all, there's a lot of dynamics here. So now that oil and water are in the church. Now look around us. We're a pretty diverse group here. And we may not think we are, but you get down deep into politics, you get down into personality, you get down into likes and dislikes, we can be a very divisive, disunified group. And when we are, the gospel doesn't get, get furthered. Listen, there's only one way that this church has been a leading church in the giving and support of missionaries, it's because we haven't been bickering with one another over the minor issues of personality and preferences. Pride and ego have been set aside to promote the furtherance of the gospel. Can you, hear, can you say amen to that? And may God protect us through the teaching of the book of Romans that we will not let Jew, Gentile, uh, Kansas... Missouri, Jayhawk, Tiger. Hey, listen, there are churches that have divided over sports. Now, you know, I can't relate to that. I, I, maybe I would divide over barbecue preferences. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, the point is, we have all these things that can divide us. And you know what, you, you know what unites us? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, I have friends in this church I would never have friends they, we would never be friends apart from Christ. In fact, we might be blood enemies because we didn't have something greater than our personalities and our preferences to unite us in the gospel. Isn't that good? Now listen, these folk are going to come in October and they need to see a church that's united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. One that is promoting the gospel for the glory of God, and who has a joy. I'm here to greet you, not because I have to be, and Pastor Bruce and Pastor Chris have exhorted us. I'm here because I get to be here and encourage you getting from point A to point B to proclaim the gospel. Now that is what the book of Romans is about. And that's worth wading through some difficult passages to understand God's purpose and to ask myself, am I involved in this? Am I involved in this? And how am I letting my problems get in the way of my participation in this? All right. Let's close. Father, I, you know, it, it's amazing that we can partner. And I think of no better thing to talk about on this 9-11 than getting the gospel to Muslims in Pakistan. Getting the gospel to Mongolians, getting the gospel to the Dutch, getting the gospel to Boston, USA, getting the gospel to Crestview, to Platte County, to Clay County, to Kansas City. 
Because in the end, Lord, it's not about Muslim and American. It's not about Israel and the Middle East. In the end, it's about your gospel and proclaiming the victory, the good news that's found in Jesus Christ. So I pray that none here would leave here today without hearing that good news and receiving it by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We have such an opportunity. Thank you for the blessing and the partnership of people in this church to where we can give thousands of dollars, but more than that, give our lives and our love to dozens and dozens of missionaries. It's you, Lord, that we want to exalt. You are our joy. In Jesus' name, we pray. 